You're listening to a sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer, unafraid witness, and uncommon community. If you have yet to do so, we would love to have you join us for worship in God's Word on Sunday mornings. For more information, visit us online at harvestniagara.ca. Thanks for listening. Amen. We'll go ahead and have a seat this morning. Good to be here. Good to be worshiping with you this morning. Um, What a blessing. And so if you have your Bible, I just go ahead and invite you to open up to the book of Zephaniah. Zephaniah. So if you were with us last week, we were in Habakkuk. Just go to Habakkuk, turn one forward, you'll find Zephaniah. Uh, If you haven't been with us in a while, probably the easiest way to get there, go to Matthew and then scoot back about four books and you will find Zephaniah. Now, I don't know about you, um, but all week long, I kind of struggled with the different ayahs of the Bible, okay? So um, Zephaniah, Zechariah, Hezekiah, Zedekiah. So we're in Zephaniah today. So if at some point I say Zedekiah, okay, just, just laugh, all right, and let it go because uh, I don't know if I can get this or not. But Zedekiah, uh, no, not Zedekiah, whoa, 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 Zephaniah. We are in Zephaniah today. And this morning's message is really about uh, the loving justice of our great God. Now, the book of Zephaniah, is, it's, a, it's a very short book. It's only three chapters, uh, but it's a book that comes with a serious punch. It starts right off the bat. You know, Zephaniah basically skips the intro and gets right to the meat. It is a heavy hitter that packs a big punch. But to understand Zephaniah's message today, we really should take a few minutes to talk about the context of the book, what's happening in the nation of Israel at this time. And just to give you a heads up of what we're going to do, I'm going to spend probably the next 10 minutes um, just laying out for us uh, what is happening in Israel at the time that Zephaniah is writing, because I think this is really important for us to understand this book and understand the meat that is here and the statements that will come. And then... And then, after we've done that, we'll just kind of walk through tracing three themes through the book. To be honest, they're kind of intermixed in the book of Zephaniah. And so we're going to just trace three themes that I believe are really applicable for our lives today. And so we're going to jump right into it. Um, Zephaniah, hopefully you're there uh, with us right now. And so let me just give you a little bit of history. As I mentioned, a short book, uh, three chapters. And this is Zephaniah, it's part of his prophetic message. Uh, He employs a lot of apocalyptic poetry that is heavy hitting, and he speaks of the day of the Lord repeatedly throughout the book, uh, about 13 times anyway. And Zephaniah comes on the scene during the last days of the nation of Judah, the last decades of the nation of Judah. Uh, Zephaniah comes on the scene when Josiah is king. Do we remember Josiah? Josiah was the eight-year-old king, and this is after the nation of Israel has been divided into two. So the nation of Israel was divided right after the reign of Solomon, somewhere around 930 BC, and there's the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. Now Zephaniah is, is writing this book after the northern kingdom has already gone into captivity by the Assyrians because of their idolatry, because of their wickedness, because of their unwillingness to repent. Zephaniah comes on the scene. 
here when Josiah is the king. Now, Josiah, you will remember, not only was he a young king, eight years old. That's pretty young to be a king, isn't it? Um, Josiah, uh, but he was a good king. He wasn't just a young king. He was a good king. He was a king that loved the Lord, that sought to bring about many reforms in the land of Judah during his day. And he did bring about many reforms in his day. In fact, the temple was restored. The idols that were set up in the temple were cast out, were destroyed. Uh, Josiah destroyed many of the high places, many of the pagan shrines that were set up in the land of Israel. Um, he, he got rid of the pagan priests that were there in the land, and he restored worship of the one true God within the land of Judah. Uh, during the days of Josiah, the book of the law was actually found in the temple. Think about that. Pastor Andy mentioned this a couple weeks ago. There, there was a time where the book of the law was gone. It was missing. They couldn't, they couldn't find it. They didn't know it. He found it, and as they began to read it, he began to bring back what true worship looked like. He actually brought back the Passover, and, and the Jewish people celebrated the Passover. If you want to check this out in more depth, uh, you can go back to 2 Kings chapter 23. 2 Kings chapter 23 will cover a lot of these things. And so, at this point, things are going pretty good in the land of Judah, seemingly. They, they at least appear to be going well. There's many reforms being made. Uh, the prophets were allowed to speak again, um, and true worship was being restored, but there was a serious problem. And to understand the serious problem in the nation of Judah during the day of Josiah and Zephaniah, we need to understand what happened 50 years or, seven, or sorry, 70 years before that. There were two kings, a father and a son. The first king was Manasseh. Second, uh, his son, the second king, was Ammon. Manasseh was the most wicked king there was in the history of Judah. And it says actually in 2 Chronicles 33 that Manasseh led Judah to do more evil than the nations that the Lord had destroyed before Israel. Manasseh was so bold, so brazen that he set up idols right in the temple itself. Idols to pagan gods. And he called the people of Judah to worship idols. He, and he, he brought about all kinds of gross practices as they worshiped these idols. Manasseh, Manasseh did all kinds of evil. And Manasseh reigned for 55 years. Now just think about that. 55 years. A leader, a king, who is pushing the people of God to worship idols and do all kinds of wicked practices. And just think about how ingrained that would have been in the culture of Judah. While Manasseh, Manasseh actually was taken into captivity himself, and at the end of his life, he, or later in his life, he repented, and then he came back and reigned again and started to bring about some reforms. But before that actually really took shape, his son Ammon took the throne and went back and began to put in place again all of the idolatry that Manasseh had walked in in his earlier days. Now, Ammon reigned for 22 years, so you've got 55 years and 22 years where the nation of Israel is steeped deeper in idolatry 
or the nation of Judah steep, deep, deeper in idolatry than ever before. And at this point, Ammon's own servants arrange a coup and they take the throne from him and they give the throne to his eight-year-old son, Josiah. And Josiah begins to reign in Judah. And this is when Zedekiah is allowed to speak again. Up until this point, Manasseh had put an end to any of the prophets who loved the Lord. He said, no, you cannot speak. And he, he stopped them, and Zedekiah begins to speak. Now, it's just interesting to note um, that Josiah is a descendant of King Hezekiah, all right, all these ayahs, right? Um, Hezekiah, but Zephaniah is also a descendant of Hezekiah, so they are related. And it seems that that in Josiah's life, that Zedekiah was one of the most influential voices. Zedekiah, see, I said it. Zephaniah, Zephaniah, there we go. All right, we got it. It was one of the most influential voices. Okay, so all of that to kind of help us understand where we are at. But, but, let me just pause here and say this for a second. As I mentioned earlier, with Josiah, things seem to be going better in the nation of Israel, at least externally. But I mentioned there was a problem. What is the problem? Well, the problem is that the nation was so steeped in its idolatry for such a long period of time that in a way, it was too late for them to repent as a whole, as, as a full nation. Where do I get this from? Well, it comes right out of 2 Kings 23, 25. And let me just read this. Let me just read this for us. 2 Kings 23, a 25 through verse 27, it says this, but before him, that's Josiah, there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all of his heart and all of his soul and with all of his might, according to all the law of Moses, nor did any like him arise after him. Now, this next verse will probably shock you, but this is just to set up where they're at in the land of Judah in this day. Listen to verse 26. So no king like Josiah, but verse 26, still the Lord did not turn from the burning of his great wrath by which his anger was kindled against Judah, get this, because of all the provocations which Manasseh had provoked him. And the Lord said, I will remove Judah also out of my sight as I have removed Israel, and I will cast off this city and all that I have chosen. Jerusalem, and the house which I said, my name shall be there. Wow. That's an intense statement, isn't it? That's a sobering statement in this book. That statement really captures a lot of the book of Zephaniah for us. The book of Zephaniah is primarily, primarily about the day of God's judgment upon his people. The judgment that is coming against Judah by the Babylonians that will be ordained by the Lord. And essentially, Zephaniah's message is this. Get ready. God's judgment is coming. That's an intense message. That's a heavy message. But it's a message that, in a sense, we all need to hear because that's not the only message in the book of Zephaniah. There's more to it. And as we build it out, we begin to start to understand and start to see some of the beauty of what God works through this judgment 
even in his own people's hearts. And so I want to trace this morning just three themes, three themes with us. And really, essentially, as we look at the book of Zephaniah, it can be broken down into maybe three parts, okay? Three parts, just to help you understand it. First part is the judgment of God on Jerusalem and Judah, okay? The land of Judah with Jerusalem, the main city, as the focus. It's God's judgment on them. Secondly, secondly, the second part of this book would be the judgment of the surrounding nations, the nations that are around Judah, that are helping to lead them into their idolatry. And then, again, God's judgment on Jerusalem. But then finally, at the end of this book, we see uh, this third a theme that comes up, and it's this theme of restoration. It's this theme of hope for not just Judah and Jerusalem, but also for the nations. And so that's what we see in the book of Zephaniah. And this morning, I just want to go through this, not so much chapter by chapter, but I want to trace three themes. So I hope you've got your Bible open uh, to the book of Zephaniah. I want to read a passage for us right here at the beginning, um, just to get us going. Zephaniah In chapter 1, we see the first theme, the first theme that we really need to recognize from this book this morning, and it's this, God will not allow his holy name to be continually mocked. That's the first theme of the book of Zephaniah. God will not allow his holy name to be continually mocked, and we see this right here in chapter 1. As I mentioned, Zephaniah gets right to it. I Just take a look right in in verse 1. The word of the Lord that came to Zephaniah, the son of Cushi, son of Gedaliah, son of Amariah, son of Hezekiah, in the days of Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah. Listen to what the Lord says. It's intense. I will utterly sweep away everything from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. I will sweep away man and beast. I will sweep away the birds of the heavens, the fish of the sea, and the rubble of the wicked. I will cut off mankind from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. I will stretch out my hand against Judah and against all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And I will cut off from this place the remnant of Baal and the name of the idolatrous priests along with the priests, those who bow down on the roofs to the host of heaven and those who bow down and swear to the Lord and yet swear by Milcom. Wow, that is an intense passage. In this passage, we see that God will not allow his name to be continually mocked by his people, by anyone else. In these chapters, we read that God in his righteousness will bring judgment to the nation of Judah. This is Zephaniah's message over and over again. And and also, not just to the nation of Judah, but also to the nations that surround them, the Canaanites, the Moabites, the Ammonites, and the other peoples of the area. And God's judgment is very specifically directed, though, with a focus on his own people in this case. This is going to be really important as we begin to understand what God does towards the end of the book. And it's, it's amazing. It's a miracle. So we need to understand something about God's justice and God's judgment here, even upon his people. And there's just a few things that I want us to notice with this, a few things that we need to remember even today for our own lives. We need to remember this in the culture that we live in. And first of all, it's this. God will not allow sin to go unpunished. He will not allow sin to go unpunished. He will allow it to go unpunished for a season, yes, 
but ultimately he will not allow sin to go unpunished, okay? He, there's, there's always consequences to our sin, always. And we're seeing this as we look at the nation of Judah, that there are consequences to their rebellion, to their idolatry, to their hard-heartedness towards the Lord. Now, we don't just see this in one place in the book of Zephaniah. We see this throughout the whole book. It's in chapter 1, it's in chapter 2, it's in chapter 3. It's all over the place in the book of Zephaniah. Now, secondly, we see this, though. God will not allow his people to continue in their complacency. We see this right in the beginning of chapter 1, right here. Chapter 1, verse 6. He speaks of those who have turned their backs from following the Lord and do not seek the Lord or inquire of him. Then down in verse 12, here it is right here, he says this, I will punish the men who are complacent and say in their heart, the Lord will not do good nor will he do ill. The the general tone in the nation of Judah in this day of most people was just like, eh, so we worship a few idols. God's not going to do anything. Big deal. We worship him too. He's got to be satisfied with that. They're complacent. God's not going to do anything. He's not going to do anything to judge us. He's not even going to do anything to bless us. Essentially, they're saying the Lord doesn't even have any power over this. He doesn't even care. He's off on a vacation. But listen, God cares if we are complacent. God will not allow his people to continue in complacency towards him. He won't. He'll bring judgment. Why will he bring judgment? Ultimately, what we see in the book of Zephaniah is that God's judgment is really a symbol of his love because God aims to restore his people and to do a mighty work within them. That's the second thing that we see. But we also need to see this. God will not allow pride or injustice, either of individuals or of nations, to continue on without consequence. He won't allow it. But then the third thing, or fourth thing we need to see is this. Ultimately, God will vindicate his name. He will vindicate his name. The name of the Lord is holy. It is righteous. It is pure. Listen to what it says in chapter 3, verse 5. The Lord within her is righteous. He does no injustice. Every morning he shows forth his justice, and each dawn he does not fail. But the unjust know no shame. God will vindicate his name. Listen, that should be something that gives us joy and gives us hope. How much today is the name of the Lord mocked, ridiculed, put down, used as a byword or even as a swear word? The Lord will ultimately vindicate his name. How much injustice is there in this world today that is not in line with the character of who God is? God will ultimately vindicate his name. God will ultimately restore. But listen, his restoration comes ultimately through judgment, and we see this in the book of Zephaniah. And here's the the last thing that we need to see under this point, is that God will judge the world in righteousness. God will judge the world in righteousness. In the book of Zephaniah, we get this picture of the justice of God being linked, absolutely linked with the love of God. Just get this in your minds for a moment right now, that God loves his people and God loves this world to let it go completely down the tubes forever. Do we get that? Do we understand that? 
And so if God loves his people and he loves this world that much, this world that he has created, if he loves us that much, then he's ultimately going to bring restoration. But how is God going to do it? Well, we get a picture here in the book of Zephaniah that God brings restoration through justice, through his judgment. And the picture here in Zephaniah is that God's justice and God's judgment is going to sweep across the nation of Judah like a consuming fire. And it will consume, but it will also at the same time refine. And that's the beautiful picture that we're going to see in a few moments in chapter 3. So don't get bogged down right now in, whoa, this is a lot. This is a lot of judgment. God's judgment always goes somewhere, okay? It always goes somewhere, and it always goes somewhere good for his people, even though it's hard. And so let's just take a minute right now. Let's just take a minute. That's point number one. That's theme number one, um, that God is going to come in judgment. He's going to come in justice. He is going to come ultimately, Zephaniah points, to the day of Judah's judgment, but then he also points at the same time to the day of final judgment on this world, kind of a a double fulfillment. He points to these two things, but then he says, hey, listen, this is not it. This is not all that's going to happen. There's, There's more. And he actually, in this book, calls out to individuals. Now, I mentioned a little bit earlier, as I read that passage from 2 Kings, that that the option here in this book of, of national repentance and the nation just as a whole, the nation of Judah repenting and God relenting and not bringing the Babylonians, that option in this book is off the table. Did you catch that? That's pretty intense. As we read a lot of the minor prophets, normally what we read is, you repent, God will relent, right? We've heard that quite often. You repent as a nation, God will relent. But in the book of Zephaniah, that's not an option. You don't read that option even once, but you do read this one beautiful option. Alongside the fact that God is going to bring his judgment on the people of Judah, you read this in in chapter 2, verse 3. Chapter 2, verse 3. Just take a look in your Bibles right there. You read this amazing option that should really grab our hearts today. Zephaniah 2, verse 3. If you were to circle any one verse in the book of Zephaniah, I would circle this one. Um, It's probably my favorite of the whole book. Let's just listen to it. Seek the Lord, all you humble of the land, who do his just commands. Seek righteousness, seek humility, and perhaps you may be hidden on the day of the anger of the Lord. Just think about this for a minute. In the middle of all of this judgment that's coming upon the nation of Judah in the middle of, you know, the prophets saying, hey, listen, it's too late. God's not going to restore the whole nation. In the middle of all of that, in the middle of all of this intensity, there's this gem, there's this moment where Zephaniah calls out to individuals just as the Lord calls out to us today. And he says, come, seek the Lord, seek the Lord, and the Lord will spare you individually. Here's the second thing, the second theme that we need to pick up from this book today. The second theme, and it's just this. Regardless of our current circumstances, the Lord calls each of us to seek Him with humility. Just let that sink in for a second. Regardless of our current circumstances, the Lord calls each one of us, me and you, to seek Him with humility. Notice verse verse 3 again. Just look at it once more. Just kind of let this sink into your mind and heart. There's a call right here to seek the Lord. 
He says, seek the Lord. And then he says, all you humble of the land. Zephaniah is calling out to this group of people in the land of Judah who are not given to idols, whose hearts are still in love with the Lord or tender before the Lord. And, and yes, they've been influenced by their culture. And yes, they are maybe weak even, but their hearts are still soft towards God. And he says, you humble of the land, seek the Lord. Seek the Lord today. Seek the Lord, you people who do his just commands. Seek righteousness. Seek humility. And then he offers this. And he says, perhaps, perhaps the Lord will hide you on the day of his anger, on the day of his judgment. Isn't that a good word for us today? Isn't that a good word for you today? It's a good word for me today. Seek the Lord. Seek the Lord in the midst of the circumstances that we find ourselves in in this world right now, regardless of our current circumstances, what does the Lord call you to? What does he call me to? He calls each one of us to seek him with a growing diligence, with a growing humility, with a growing hunger for him. Just look at our nation today. Look at North America today. Look at the mess that we see all around us in the world today. It's a really easy time to fall into fear, isn't it? It's a really easy time to, to fall into anger and to choose sides, me against you and you against me and all of this. It's a really easy time to be divided even among the body of Christ, isn't it? Isn't it? Honestly? It really is, right? Like, unbelievable. Some of the divisions that come up today, and I'm not going to get into them this morning, but unbelievable. The stuff that we would choose to even fight and bicker with one another about today. We live in a tough day. It's, it's evident by the fact that everybody out here right now has a mask over their face because of the pandemic. We live in a very difficult day. But this verse is so applicable to you and me today, isn't it? It's so applicable for our hearts today. What do we do? What do we do when it seems like so many things that we've known and taken for granted are collapsing around us? What do we do in a time like this? What do we do in a time where there is racism, where there is violence? What do we do in a time where there is pandemic? What do we do in a time where we're uncertain what the future has for us? What do we do? We seek the Lord. That's what we do. We seek the Lord. We don't just seek the Lord with complacency. Remember, God will not let his people dwell in complacency forever. What does he call us to? He calls us to a renewed diligence in pursuing him, pursuing him with all of our hearts. Well, how does that come? Right here, all you humble of the land. There's a call in this passage for each one of us, for all of us, regardless of our personal circumstances, to humble ourselves before the Lord and even before each other. I just want you to dwell on this for a second. I want you to think about this. What does it look like to walk in humility before the Lord in your life? Just imagine, you know, in your life right now, God just poured out a giant dose of humility. How would that humility impact the relationships within your family, within your workplace, within your community, within your neighborhood? How would it impact uh, relationships within extended family? How would it impact husbands the way that you treat your wife? How would it impact wives, the way that you treat your husbands, children, the way that you treat your parents? If you just all of a sudden had this new humility from seeking the Lord, how would your life be impacted? Honestly, what do we need right now in the church of Jesus Christ more than anything else? We need to seek the Lord. 
And we need to be humble and low before him. We need to stop, stop bickering and arguing and dividing over foolish things. We need to repent of that. And we need to seek the Lord in humility. We need to put Jesus Christ back on the throne of our hearts. And we need to stop bowing down to some of the idols that we've taken up. Yeah, I said that. You know, the people of Israel weren't the only idolaters. It's you, and it's definitely me that clings to the idols of comfort in this world, of my illusion of control, that I would have the audacity to think in God's world that I control anything. Let's be honest. What do you control? What do I control? Most days, I struggle to even control my own response. Right? Can I control anyone else? Absolutely not. Can I control what's going to happen this fall? Can I control what's going to happen this winter? Can I control whether there's going to be a second wave of this pandemic? No, I can't control any of those things. The only thing that God calls me and you to control is ourselves, and most days that is an epic struggle, isn't it? It is for me. And so maybe we need to focus less out there and on everybody else and focus more right here. New humility in my heart, new humility in your heart before the Lord, a new diligence in seeking Him, pursuing Him. Lord, how do you want me to walk through this day? It's an evil day that we live in, isn't it? It is. Don't hide your head in the sand, it is, but, but the Lord will hide His people if they seek Him. He will guard them, He will carry them through it. That's the beauty of this message in Zephaniah. You know, believe it or not, one day or another, the Lord's judgment is, is coming upon this world in the final day, but God's people, if they will seek Him in humility, pursue Him with all of their heart, if they will do that, the Lord will be gracious to hide and to spare them. Wow, that is awesome. I just want you to think about this today. You know, we live in a country with tremendous freedom still, don't we? Yeah, sure, there's restrictions that we struggle with, but we still live in a country with tremendous freedoms compared to the rest of the world. But as we look out at Canada today, would we say that Canada is a godly nation? No, I don't think any of us would make that argument. Um, we wouldn't say that. Would we say that our leaders as a whole today are godly leaders? No, we wouldn't say that. Will God bring restoration in our country and will he bring revival? Maybe. We don't know. If he doesn't, what will we do? The answer is right here in verse 3. We will seek the Lord we will seek the Lord, whether He does, whether He doesn't. We will seek the Lord in humility. We will get low before the Lord, and we will trust the Lord through whatever season this life throws at us. Individually, individually, we must seek the Lord. Listen, this is a call to you personally today. This isn't necessarily a call to a whole church or a whole people group. Just as Zephaniah didn't call to the whole nation of Israel, he spoke to individuals saying, saying, you must trust the Lord. You must seek him for yourself. And so listen, I just want to kind of get real here for a moment with you. As I was thinking about this and thinking about how it all applies to your life and to my life and just kind of looking at the things that tempt me at times, I am definitely tempted to 
to get sidetracked and to get over here about all the stuff that's happening around us today and even all the restrictions that we have to face in order to worship with one another. I'm definitely tempted to get sidetracked by all of that. But I just want to say something today. If, if, if you're here and you're the person that spends more time even on social media calling out all of the flaws in our society, calling out all of the flaws in our uh, politics and our leaders in our society. If you're that person today, I just want you to just to hear this. I hope, I hope you spend more time in your personal devotion seeking Jesus Christ. Because that's what he's going after right here. That's the message that Zephaniah is saying. Zephaniah is saying, hey, listen, I could rail against all of these things over here, but I'm not going to. I am going to call individuals to seek the Lord, to pursue the Lord with everything that they have. And so I'm just going to say, it's, it's a problem. It's a problem if you can call out all of the evils in our country and in our society. And should we do that at times? Yes, as the Lord gives opportunity. But if that is not um, equal to or even greater you know, if it's not even greater amount of time spent being devoted to Christ and seeking Christ and pursuing Christ, that's a problem. Would you agree with that? I hope so. Again, it's so easy for us to get sidetracked, isn't it? It's so easy for us to get off on something that seems good and only to find ourselves way off over here, led further and further away from Jesus Christ. That's a problem. But also it's a problem for us as individuals, to look at the lives of everybody else around us, to pick up on everything that is flawed in their life, to pick up on all of their sins and shortcomings, and to get so focused and honed in on that that we neglect our own relationship with the Lord. Anybody guilty of that? Yeah, I can say I have been, for sure. Listen, the call right here in this passage of the book of Zephaniah, the call is that we would stop all of that, that we would focus not on what's around us, not focus on the people around us, not focus on what's happening in our nation even as much, but focus this way on the Lord and get low before Him in humility to submit to Him, to do what He has called us to do and to live in that and to find our joy in that place. That's what we're called to. And here it is right here, brothers and sisters, if we're going to Go forward, seeking the Lord in humility. Here it is right here. Just very simple things that we need to be reminded of this morning. Coming right out of chapter 2, verse 3. First of all, if we're going to seek the Lord, we must live by His Word. We must do His just commands. We must put that into practice in our lives. We must commit ourselves to the Lord to say, no, no matter what is thrown at me, by God's grace, I am going to walk in His ways. That's a fruit of humility, isn't it? A fruit of humility is true obedience to the Lord, no matter what trials and difficulties are thrown at you. Second thing, second thing, we must seek Him diligently. It's not enough just to put on the externals of following God, of walking with Him and doing the religious efforts. It's a diligent seeking from the heart. It's pursuing Him with everything that you have. And third, it's a genuine hunger for humility. Lord, Lord, I need your grace today. God, I need your help today. God, I, I can't do this. God, 
I am guilty before you apart from Jesus Christ. I am weak before you apart from Jesus Christ. And I can do nothing apart from Jesus Christ. And so God, I just need a whole lot of you today. Lord, would you help me? Help me to love others more than I love myself. That's the heart of humility, that the Lord would do this in our heart. And it's not just simply saying those words. It's a hunger for it in our heart. And then last, that we would even pursue righteousness out of the flow of living by God's word, of seeking him diligently, of hungering for humility. Then, out of that, that we would then pursue righteousness and pursue justice. Why? Why would we do these things? Because this is what it looks like to receive the Lord's blessing as we walk through a difficult season. His blessing of his grace, his mercy, his protection of carrying us through. Did you catch that little phrase at the end? Seek the Lord, seek the Lord, and perhaps you may be hidden on the day of the Lord's anger. I'd love to know. I'd love to know whether when Zephaniah wrote that little line, and perhaps you may be hidden if he had a smile on his face. Perhaps you may be hidden. Well, we know in Jesus Christ that the Lord will carry us to glory, that ultimately on the day of God's anger that we will be with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. What a joy it is to know that we are in Him. My brothers and sisters, I just want to ask you, these things that we've just talked about in the last few moments under the second theme of regardless of our circumstances, seeking the Lord in humility, right now, is that where you would say your life is at? It's time for a heart check. Okay, scale of one to 10, one being not good, 10 being great, okay? Where are you at right now? Just, you know, guess for yourself, take a number for yourself, think about it for yourself. I'm gonna say that unless your name's Jesus, there's nobody among us that's a 10. All right, we've all got room to grow, but where are you at in seeking the Lord today? Maybe the the flow out of this message even today is for you just to get low before the Lord and maybe to repent over some stuff that's been in your life for a while that has no business being there. And just to pray, Lord, my heart has even begun to grow hard to these things. Would you soften it, Lord? Would you soften me by your grace? Would you break me over these things? Would you give me a new humility, not a show of humility before other people, but a true humility before the Lord that only God can do in our heart and can only be done if we will be willing to let him. So where are you at today? This book calls us, it calls us to pursue the Lord even in the times of adversity and we live in a time of adversity today, don't we? We live in a difficult day. Maybe it's not as difficult as the day that Zephaniah lived in. But honestly, in Zephaniah's day, things looked pretty good on the outside. Josiah is making all these reforms. It's getting better. And then this prophet comes on the scene with this message saying, no, actually the Babylonians are coming. Well, he doesn't name them, but he says, you guys are going into captivity. That's what's going to happen. God's judgment is coming against you. Whoa, that's an intense message. But listen, I want us to catch this. I want us to understand this about the book, this book, and about God's judgment. Um, something that I didn't pick up on earlier and just as I was studying through it became uh, something that not only by the Lord's grace I, I saw, but I'm able to rejoice in. Listen, I mentioned this earlier. God's judgment is not ultimately intended for the destruction of even this earth, of, of people, of any of those. That's not, that's not the goal. That's the, the means, but it's not the goal. What is the goal of God's judgment of him even 
bringing his justice upon the people of Judah at this point in this book. Well, God's judgment, God's justice, God's discipline, whatever you want to call it, upon the people of Judah is ultimately meant to be the catalyst for their restoration, for their revival. God calls out through his prophet Zephaniah, and he says, judgment is coming. But if you're humble, then seek the Lord, and he will hide you on that day. And right there, Zephaniah calls out to this people that's going to be the humble remnant that's going to be in the land, that's going to dwell with the Lord, that are going to be blessed by him. He calls out to them, and he says, and he says, seek the Lord, all you humble. Why? Why would he make this call? Because he's pointing us to the fact that God in his justice will bring judgment, but then through that judgment, God will bring restoration. And this is the third theme that we see here in this book, this theme of restoration, this theme of God at work to restore his people. Theme number three, as believers in Jesus Christ, theme number three, we must focus on forward our attention. We must focus our attention forward on the day when the Lord restores all that is broken in this world. We've got to focus forward. Listen, just think about this for a moment. We'll unpack it in a second of of what this looks like for us today, but think about it in the context of this book. If you go to chapter 3, you're going to notice it right here. In chapter 3 of the book of Zephaniah, we begin to see that the Lord that the Lord will begin to restore. Let's just take a look there. If you've got your Bible, open it up, and we'll read starting at verse 14. Look at what it says. It's this day of restoration. It's, it's Israel's joy and restoration. Verse 14, Zephaniah writes these words, Sing aloud, O daughters of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart. Man, what a shift in the tone from earlier. What a shift in tone from chapter 1, isn't it? Chapter 1, I'm going to sweep the earth utterly clean of everything. Chapter 3, sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. This was not meant to be something that the people of Judah would experience before judgment had come. But this is pointing forward to the future day, a day that is still forward. When, when Christ will ultimately reign on the earth, when Christ will bring his kingdom, look at what it goes on to say. Where do I get this from? It's right here in verse 15. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away all of your enemies. The king of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil. On that day, it shall be said to Jerusalem, fear not, O Zion, Let not your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save you. He will rejoice over you with gladness, and he will quiet you with his love. Isn't that an amazing picture? He will exalt over you with loud singing. He will gather those of you who mourn for the festival so that you will no longer suffer reproach. Behold, at that time, I will deal with all your oppressors, and I will save the lame and gather the outcast, and I will change their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. At that time, I will bring you in, at the time when I gather you together, for I will make you renowned and praised among the peoples of the earth when I restore your fortunes before your eyes, says the Lord. 
Listen, God's blessing, God's restoration comes through his justice, through his judgment, through difficulty. Listen, if there's anything that this season of COVID has taught me, it's that often from the Lord, very, very, very good things come in very, very, very hard packages. I think we look back, we look back to March. How many of you struggled with, at that point with fear, with anxiety, with uncertainty, with all of these things? How many of you felt overwhelmed by that? I know I did at times. And yet, through that season, God pressed in my heart a deeper trust on him a deeper reliance on him. God stripped away some of those idols of the illusion of control and comfort and all of these things, and God began to show me this truth that that good things from the Lord often come in hard packages. And that's exactly what's happening here in this book. I believe that's exactly what's happening today in our lives in many different ways, that the Lord is out of the difficulty that we face, out of the trials that we face, He is going to refine. He is going to grow us by His grace. And it's going to be a hard thing, but it's going to be a good thing. God's blessing often, it often comes through the difficulty that we endure. But notice what this says. Notice what it says here in this passage. Notice what this passage is all about This passage is so filled with hope for us. But ultimately, brothers and sisters, our hope is not anchored in the here and now, is it? Our hope is not anchored in uh, in who gets elected down in the states. Our hope is not anchored in uh, how our prime minister does, whether he is forced out of office or what. It's not anchored in any of those things. It's not anchored in whether this pandemic is totally done in the fall. It's not anchored there. It is not anchored in the here and now. Praise God for that. Man, because if my hope was anchored in the here and now, I would have a lot of reasons to be depressed, wouldn't I? So would you. A lot of reasons to be fearful a lot of reasons to be anxious, a lot of reasons to be angry, a lot of reasons to be divisive. I would have a lot of reasons if my hope was anchored here and now. But it's not anchored here and now. It is anchored in Jesus Christ and the hope of his kingdom, his justice, his judgment coming to this world, his restoration coming to this world to restore it to all that he ever intended it to be with him at the center of it. And Zephaniah points us He points us to a day that he begins to glimpse. He just, Zephaniah just catches a glimpse of this day that is yet way in the future for him. He catches a glimpse of it, but don't we have a way greater glimpse of what this day will look at, look like? We read the New Testament, we read even the book of Revelation, and we read where Jesus Christ is the center of all things, and we worship, and he will wipe every tear from every face, that he will restore all things, that there will be no suffering, no sin, no sickness in glory with him. That is the day that we wait for. That is the hope that we wait for. It's not right now. It's not here and now. What did Jesus say about the here and now? Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. Oh, that's a bummer. But take heart. I have overcome the world. That is our hope. That is our hope, brothers and sisters. It's in Jesus Christ. It's not in this broken world. 
It's not in what we see happening around us. And isn't it so easy in a time like this to misplace your hope and to get so sidetracked and so focused and, and so tied up in all of the political workings of our day and all of, and just to get entrapped in these things that you totally lose focus of where your hope actually is. And so this is why I say point number three, that we must focus our attention forward. It's not here, it's not now, it's forward. It's to the day when the Lord Jesus Christ comes to restore everything that is broken in that world. And I can guarantee you this, that day is coming because he said it would come and it will come because he doesn't lie. Praise God. Praise God for that. I hope you're encouraged by that fact that yes, it's going to come through hard things. Yes, it's going to come through difficulty. Well, what do we do? What do we do if you know, things get worse for us in our nation? What do we do if things get harder uh, in this world for Christians? Well, three things. Understand this. Number one, God will not allow his holy name to be continually mocked. Wait for the Lord. He won't allow his holy name to be continually mocked. You can bank on that. He will hold the wicked accountable. Number two, today the Lord calls you and me to seek him with a renewed diligence, with a brand new passion, with a fresh zeal and a new humility that goes way deeper than the surface. That's what the Lord wants from each of us today. And as we do that, We don't focus on the here and now. Yes, we live with wisdom in this world, but we focus our hope on the day that is yet to come, the day, the day that Zephaniah speaks of over and over again. And I love this little phrase that Zephaniah says throughout the book. If you read it this afternoon, you'll catch it. He speaks of that day, that day. The apostle Paul picks up that phrase often in his letters, and he speaks of that day, that day when Christ will return in glory. Yes, there will be judgment, but there will also be restoration for believers in Jesus Christ. We focus on that day. We don't focus on today. And in humility, we love one another well by the grace of God, and we walk in unity together, not being divided over foolish things, but being united in heart before Jesus Christ as we look to him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this little book in your word with such a big message. God, we thank you that you teach us through it that often good things come in hard packages. God, we thank you that you have shown us through this word here in this book today, Lord, that you will not allow your name to be mocked, Lord, forever, but that you will come and you will bring justice and judgment. But God, we thank you so much that you've shown us here that through that justice and through that judgment, you will bring grace and mercy to your people to those who truly seek you, to those who truly love you and pursue you with a full heart. Lord, may that be us today. Lord, may we pursue you. May we long for you, Lord. May we seek you with a renewed zeal and a renewed passion. And may we look forward to the day of your coming. May we look forward to the hope that we have in Jesus Christ for all of eternity. And Lord, may we live today in that hope, we pray in your name. Amen.